0: Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know. And we'll catch you next time.
1: Uh, real quick on the thought of that service time change. I can't wait to tell second service. Because half of them are going to go, it was 11 this whole time? Oh, it's going to be great. I'll tell you how it goes, okay? All right, so, uh, yes, thank you, Daniel. Uh, Thank you, Jason, for for just the excitement around here. And yes, this year for me and my family has been busy. Some of you know that um, I was thinking about this, preparing for this. I've been preaching for about 10 years now, which is kind of wild. I started in high school, and I only preach a few times a year. It's not like it's an every week thing, but um, I'm thankful that God's given me this opportunity. And as I prepared for it, I don't think he's ever place something so heavy on my heart than what I'm going to share with you today. It's more personal than I think I've ever um, gotten to be from the stage. And so I want to pray before we, we dive into this passage. God, thank you for this opportunity to learn from your word. I thank you for the, the life experience that you give us to grow closer to you, to hear you, to see you. And may we see your son today in this text and learn more about him and you And may we walk out these doors changed with a mission to live for you. In your name, amen. One of my favorite things to do is to look at a passage together, go through it verse by verse, see what God is saying in it, um, what it means for them and the people that are in that story, but then how we can apply it to our lives. So today we're going to be looking at 1 Kings 19, um, and this one, this passage I've heard um, almost, I, I think it was high school when I first heard this story, and it hit me then, but I love that how um, God can take a story... And, and you could revisit it years later, multiple times, and learn something new from it. And I really feel like we have that today. Today, we're gonna learn how the presence of worldly things, circumstances, and emotions can mislead us from the truth that God's presence and life-giving word should be the center of our life. Let me say that again. We're gonna learn how the presence of worldly things, circumstances, and emotions can mislead us from the truth that God's presence and life-giving word should be the center of our life. So, before we jump into the text, I always like to talk about the context and who we're looking at. And so, the character and today's story today is uh, is Elijah, and Elijah is one of the major prophets prophets of the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, he's one of the big three. If you look at Matthew 17, when Jesus brings Peter, James, and John up the mountain to see his transfiguration they not only see Jesus transfigured, but they also see Moses standing beside him, and they see Elijah. So he's one of the big three in that moment. It's kinda interesting, and there's a reason for it. There's a parallel that you see through scripture from Moses giving the first covenant to Elijah representing the prophets and the deliverance of God's word to his people, and then ultimately the new Moses and the new covenant of Jesus and what God had ushered in through Christ's life. So it's really powerful to see that connection, and we're going to get a little bit of that today. Um, It's interesting how when a prophet lived in the Old Testament, they were typically associated with a particular king or a few kings of Israel or Judah. And so for Elijah, he was paired with Ahab. And King Ahab, um, well it's interesting, when, when you see kings in the Old Testament, they, they may have stories about them and, and we get you know passages with them, but in the end, there's typically a line that sums up what this king was like. The, the Bible just like condenses it down to either this king did what was good in the Lord's eyes, or this king did what was wicked in the Lord's eyes. And Ahab was one of those wicked guys. He actually married a woman that was worse than him. Uh, Her name was Jezebel. You probably have heard her name before. And they were wicked because they followed false gods. They focused on this false god of Baal. They worshiped him. And this was in direct conflict with what God wanted for Israel and what Elijah was trying to do in his ministry as a prophet. Elijah was meant to speak out against this evil. He was meant to be faithful in telling the people of the truth about who God is and what he wants for them. So, um, throughout the, the book of 1 Kings, you could see some really cool stories with Elijah you may wanna go look at later. Elijah had some incredible moments. He was, he was described to be this great, faithful man of God. In fact, he was one of the only people of the Bible that did not die. He actually, in 2 Kings, just a few chapters after what we're looking at today, was just swept up. Not many people could say that. God provided through him to the people during a time of drought. He was able to provide them food. Um, He was able to bring back to life a boy that had passed for a mother. And then one of the coolest uh, chapters of the Bible that I'll let you read on your own is 1 Kings 18, the chapter just before the one we get to today. Um, Elijah has this showdown between himself and the prophets of Baal. He basically, he calls out Ahab and says, hey, you know that, that God, Baal, that you're worshiping? Yeah, go get your prophets, bring them here. And we're, let's, let's get two bulls, get two altars, and we're going to sacrifice to these gods, and let's see who's the real one, right? And so Ahab, I mean, he is confident in the Lord that he's going to show up. So these prophets are gathered, and they try to get this bull to be offered to their god of Baal, and nothing happens. And actually, uh, Elijah is a little, a little uh, confident and cocky in this moment, and rubs it in their faces. And then he calls on God, and God absolutely obliterates the sacrifice of a bull. He takes out the whole altar and you know, Elijah saw this as a great victory. That God displayed his power, his might, the truth that he is the one true God. And he thought it would change a lot of things. And so actually he's so confident in this victory he ends up rounding up all the prophets of Baal and has them killed. They're slaughtered, okay? And so that directly leads us to the text that we have today. Let's go to it if it wants to go. There we go. All right, verse one of uh, 1 Kings 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. She wanted him dead. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So here we have Elijah immediately after a victory on the run. They want him dead because it was in direct opposition to what uh, this, this false prophet Baal and, and, and their followers wanted. So let's, let's see uh, a little bit further his response. Verse four. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die saying, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. He's a little dramatic in this moment, isn't he? Right? I, I think I could relate to the humanity. You have this Elijah who's this guy performing miracles, and he calls and beats this showdown against the prophets, and yet his life is now threatened, and there was this sense of failure to the fact that maybe the people didn't respond with clarity that God of Israel is the one true God. So he's on this run and feels this threat on his life, and that comes uh, to our first point here. The presence of a faith victory in our life often invokes the presence of opposition. Presence of a faith victory in our life often invokes the presence of opposition. The enemy absolutely hates it when he sees us bask in this glory of God and his strength and celebrating a victory. When I think back on where my journey has gone since I've known God, I could see a lot of mountains and a lot of valleys, and often those valleys come right at the heel of a mountain, right? I could see that some of my greatest battles have come right after the greatest victory, so for me, uh, as Daniel had mentioned, this past year has been very eventful. Um, my wife and I, Heather, we, starting in the spring of 2018, were praying uh, to start a family. We wanted to start having kids, so it took us about six months, and after, you know, just, I know God's timing is perfect, and, and we were trying to figure things out, but ended up in October this last year, found out we were expecting, we were so excited, thrilled. We felt like this was a victory in our life, Um, We had sold our first house. Uh, We moved in with my parents. I think I've said that before to you guys. And we're building a new house kind of closer to some of our our family so that we could be close and raise our kids together. We were thrilled. And um, come this winter in December, I started having a pain up on uh, my jawline near my neck. And I, if you know me, I hate the doctor. I hate being sick. I like to just push through it. And it took a little while for me to finally go and I did. And so they couldn't see anything um, and they ended up wanting to get an ultrasound on that area. And so it's up here near my jaw and the tech's looking, doesn't see anything. I could kinda see on the screen, there's nothing there. And um, I I believe God ordained, she dropped the wand and ended up seeing my thyroid, uh, which is down here, right? And seeing nodules on my thyroid. And that word nodule, I mean, that I hadn't even used that term in my vocabulary, I think, ever. So I was like, what does that mean? And I'm a very paranoid person on that stuff. And so there was a chance they were like, we've got to get a biopsy. We've got to take a look at this. It could be cancerous. And so I wasn't thrilled to hear it. And it came on the heel of this incredible victory. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. What is this? What are you doing, God. I didn't doubt him, but I was confused in that moment. And so um, we set to, uh, to prepare for a surgery because the biopsy wasn't conclusive to say whether or not it was cancer. And so February rolls around, um, we, we you know get to this surgery and I go under, come up, and the doctor proceeds to tell me that it's not cancerous. The plan was to remove half my thyroid that had the nodules on it and then keep the other if it wasn't cancerous. And so we were celebrating. We were thrilled to hear that news, friends and family. It felt like I could finally focus on, you know, this house coming and our ultimately our kid coming. And um, a week later, I come to the follow-up and I come to find out that pathology had gotten it wrong pathology ended up finding after examining it over the entirety of the week and actually being able to look at it in its fullness that there were two types of cancer in those nodules. I was defeated. I was crushed. I had felt this elation toward this victory and it was wrong. Um, I didn't Hate God. I wasn't mad at him. Again, I was confused. I was confused that he could let his child feel something that was incorrect when he knew what the real result was. I didn't understand that. I definitely had lost all trust in medical science. Everybody always says, well, that's why they call it practice. And I'm like, you don't like them practicing on you, I promise. I was confused and I didn't know how to fully process this and I want to say that this this story that we're reading today came to my mind this spring not because I have any standing compared to Elijah whatsoever but what I do believe is that we are able to read a passage we're able to see the life of people in the Bible and it's meant to teach us it's meant to admonish us it's meant to convict us be relatable so that we could find hope and understand who God is and how he works in our life. So this story of Elijah meant something very different to me after this time. So let's think back to him. Let's think about Elijah again. He's depressed. Why? He had this, he, his life is being threatened. That's, that's natural, I think. There's this anxiety there. Then also, again, like I had said, His mission was to orient the people of Israel back to God, and it wasn't happening. He thought that that showdown would have been more than enough for them to see who God was and turn away from those false prophets, and it wasn't. It was very clear, because often, the way the king goes, the way the people go. It was very very much a parallel in the Old Testament. You saw that. So... In the next couple of verses, for time's sake, we're not going to look at them on the screen, but in verses five through eight of 1 Kings 19, Elijah has this really cool moment. I call it kind of a Jonah moment with God because he's under that broom tree, right? He's sitting under this tree. He's pouty. Not quite as pouty as Jonah, but he's definitely pouty and just is like, kill me. Like, I'm done. That's literally what he says. And so actually he falls asleep and God sends an angel of the Lord to give him food and water In that moment, he wakes up, he takes this provision, it's good, he falls back asleep. God does it again, he sends this angel, gives him food and water, and it says that it's enough for him to travel 40 days and nights. And that brings us to our next point. We must depend daily on his presence and provision alone. I love that it was multiple times that God had sent the angel to provide him with provision. He knows exactly how much we need. He knows exactly how much motivation we need to get through that trial, that suffering, that situation, that circumstance. He knows what is good for us even greater than we know ourselves. And how many of us in this circumstance or any of those that you can relate with do we try to muster up our own strength? We're like, I'll just, I'll just push through this. If I could just get, right, maybe you set like a checkpoint where you're like, if I could just set, get to here, I'll be fine, so I'm just gonna deal with all the problems. Often we kick into self-preservation and we will most certainly will fail or not see that God is there all along, ready to provide exactly what we need in that moment. You know, for me, This cancer diagnosis this last year hit me. It reminded me, life is fragile. And I think as a younger person, we ignore it. I think also we live, living in this day and age in America where we have incredible technology, we take it for granted. We have this facade that's built that we got this. We're fine. And if we don't have it, they got a pill for it. And in a lot of ways, one of the lines I heard like so many times through this thing was, well, if you could pick a cancer, you'd pick this one. And I'm telling you guys, that does not comfort the person that has cancer, okay? <laughs> it's cancer, it's the C word, it's the thing you want to avoid, it's this something that, if it stayed in me, would kill me. Um, I, I think back, I've, I've known God and followed him for 15 years now. I have a passion to be a part of ministry. I have a passion to share the gospel through means of relevant visual media and storytelling. That's the calling I have on my life. I believe that it's so important that whatever message you have, especially the good news, should be given to someone in a clear and simple and effective form. That's always been a passion of mine. I went to school in Virginia to be a part of ministry. I've been on staff here now seven years, which I am absolutely thankful for. But here's one of my weaknesses. I get complacent. I think I've said this before to you as well. I get into routine. I'm a person that loves tasks. I love being busy. I love being in control. It's a weakness, It drives me, there's a part of it that's the gifting that I believe God's given me to be a driven, motivated person with energy and passion to complete things. But then when I lean on them, it becomes a front. And I know how to operate and make sure that the checklist is done at the end of the day. And this last year, it's not like I was in an absolute tailspin, but I had gotten comfortable. And my routine replaced my devotion to him. I had lost sight a little bit. I was just surviving. And when you get a diagnosis like this, it wakes you up. (laughs) There's no way, it just halts you and that facade that you may be generating to make sure that people think you're okay or maybe you're telling yourself you're okay, it's gone. And you have nothing to lean on if those things were what were getting you through each day. And I know you may be telling yourself, no, no, I believe, I trust in him, he's my father. Yeah, well, you're going to know real quick when you're hit with that crisis. Elijah had a crisis, I had a crisis, and I know you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I felt that crisis, or maybe you've, you've had a few. I was reminded how worthless I was alone and how com- in complete need I was of Him to be my provision. And I love that in this text, He didn't do it once, He did it multiple times because daily we must go to Him and renew that passion and drive to commit ourselves to who He is and being our provider. And what I love is that in this time, through this journey of the spring, He did that in multiple ways. He did that in my own personal devotion to him and my time with him, but also he did it through community. And I could say right here in this room, there are many of you who were warriors for me and my family to get us through this. We were provided for through the means of community, and I don't know how somebody goes through this without it. And it's the community of God that got us through, and I thank you for that. I'm thankful for my wife who was pregnant Like, normally, that's the time where the husband steps up his game and provides for her. She stepped up for me, and I know it was God giving her that strength, and I'm thankful for it. So, let's get back to the text, though. I said that that last provision had given him strength for 40 days and 40 nights, and he traveled to Mount Horeb. Now, what I love about this is Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. Remember that point as we read verses nine and 10. It said, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am only left. And they seek my life to take it away. Now we're getting some real dialogue with Elijah. Elijah. Now remember, I had said that there's very much this parallel of him being this type of Moses, right? So he goes to Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. Where did Moses receive the first covenant? Mount Sinai. So there's very much this parallel. If you're a reader and knew the text at all, the lights apparently are signaling that. There's this parallel that's occurring between Moses and Elijah and that God is dealing with them. He's interjecting in this moment to give them new life and new hope, new strength to lead the fickle people because remember, Moses dealt with a group of people that were wandering, just absolutely lost. Just like Elijah who felt this sense of failure on his ministry because what he was set out to do was not happening. The people were still lost. And so this is truly a cave-like experience if there's the mountaintop experience this is the cave experience let's see elijah and god's interaction more in verse 11 and he said this is god go out and stand on the mount before the lord and behold the lord passed by very similar language to when god passed by moses to receive and show his glory right And a great and strong wind tore through the mountains and broke to pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is one of my favorite stories of the entire book of the Bible. God showed Elijah something special. Most of us reading would be ready for that wind to be this jaw dropping moment for God to go, Here I am. We're going to be okay. And he wasn't there. The earthquake, you'd think it's shaking the ground, would be where God wanted to reveal himself to Elijah, and he didn't. Or a fire. All three of those things, if you look when they occur in other biblical texts, they are typically associated with God intervening, with divine judgment, with God being loud and bold. And yet, this was something completely else. God wanted to reveal himself to Elijah in the whisper. And I love what commentaries show about this term, the low whisper. Some call it a gentle whisper. Some say it's this low hum. And one says that it's just silence. That God was in the silence. What I love is that God asks Elijah, what are you doing here again? And in the text after this, Elijah responds with the same exact answer. But this time God answers And God gives Elijah exactly what he needs. He shows up, and he gives him the direction for really the final act of Elijah's ministry. He gives him the last calling on his life to go and appoint two new kings, one for the the land of Aram and one for Israel. And then he also tells him to go and appoint his successor, Elisha. Not Elijah, Elisha. Remember that for later. So Elijah receives exactly what he needs from God, In the silence, God speaks to him, is present there, and gives him that new hope. And what I love is the final thing he tells him is that there will be a remnant of people that follow after me, that it will not all be for nothing, that there will still be a people that follow me and know who I am. And that's the drive that that leads Elijah on. And that in this moment, I want to remind you of this. God may present himself to you in unique ways, but he will always present himself through his word to those who are listening. I know that a lot of you are sitting there, if you're like me, you want the big sign. Do it, right? Like, you're, you're so confused on what to do. You come to a fork in the road. You don't know what to do with this relationship or with a career, and you're like, God, just, just please, marquee it. Like, tell me the arrow, and I will go. And more often than not, I'm I'm not saying God can't work that way. I know that he speaks in our life in big ways sometimes. But he will always speak through his word to those who are listening. And here's the beautiful part about this hillside. We live in the new covenant. We live in the new covenant where we see the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the promise and the hope that he brings... What does it say in John? Jesus says that I must go so that you may have a helper, a comforter, being the Holy Spirit, who can help us interpret and understand his word. And guess what? That spirit lives right inside of us. In the silence of our hearts, the spirit lives and is able to guide and convict and motivate and encourage and supply us with exactly what we need. After hearing you know, about that news of cancer, um, I had to have the second surgery because we had already finished the first one. We had to go back in to finish the job. And in the quietness of my own heart is where God spoke to me the most. I've spent more time in silence this spring and summer than I ever have. And it was in the silence that God ended up being the loudest. He brought to mind verses and songs and and words of truth that carried me through this time. He knew exactly what I needed. And frankly, I had to stop filling my life with busyness and the routine. I had to start making time for quiet, for meditation, and allow him to speak in the ways that he wanted to, not in the ways that I wanted him to. And frankly, I was reminded of, of this verse in Matthew 6 and what Jesus says here. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, <laughs> what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? You know, this physical illness brought me to the truth that I could worry about it all day long and I really had no say. There were steps that we needed to take but it was ultimately up to him on what he wanted and what he was doing in my life. I'm not saying that God caused this cancer but I am saying we live in a fallen world of sin and disease and he did have this in my story so that I may remember who he is and how he provides for me. We must focus on his kingdom, on Christ's kingdom, the eternal one, not this worldly one. It's so easy to worry about the things that are right in front of your face that are screaming at you, the anxieties, the emotions, the the threats maybe that you have really felt for your faith. And I want to remind you that Jesus has ushered in the fulfillment of the law, being the first Moses. He has fulfilled the prophecies of the prophets, being Elijah. And he has completed the fulfillment of those things through his life and death, and he has beaten death, and it cannot touch us. That is our focus. To finish my story, I ended up going to a new doctor in Southlake for uh, that second surgery. And I was, you know, going under scares me. I I hate going under for surgery, but it was a smoother transition. We go through the surgery, and I, this is almost comical now, but I wake up to find in my follow-up that because the first doctor had cut me so high, the second doctor couldn't reach the rest of my thyroid tissue. We had to get that out because the cancer could recur. So I needed... A third surgery. And they said, this has literally never happened before. That was comforting. (laughs) So I had a third surgery to remove my thyroid. Now my sister effectively calls me Uncle Cutthroat for my nephew. (laughs) So that's awesome. But listen, I found peace and calmness because God was the one who was there and giving me his, his provision all through it. The final step was radiation treatment because um, we needed to make sure that it hadn't spread anywhere else. And so it's not chemo, but what I ended up happening is I had to take a pill um, in May that was radioactive iodine and it was going to kill anything thyroid related, whether it be cancerous or otherwise. And here, honestly, I think this was the toughest part, um, was that I had to be isolated from people for 12 days, which I had never done in my entire life. And I don't know if any of you could say that as well. And I love people and being around others. (laughs) And it was in that moment that God taught me so much. I had a cave experience. I was literally alone in that apartment above my parents' garage for two weeks. This was to protect pregnant women and children. Well, my wife was eight months pregnant. We got through it. And I know it was because God surrounded us with other prayer warriors and with his presence and our hearts in those really long nights that hurt a lot. I am thrilled to be up here today. Cancer's gone. <laughs> Cancer's gone. And I have a new direction, a new hope. It's the same one that he got me with 15 years ago, but he reminded me why I do what I do. To have a passion for the gospel, for you to hear it, for those to hear it out there that don't know him. And on June 27th, my wife and I got to bring into this world Lincoln Nash. This is my son, and I can't wait to tell him about Jesus. So at the beginning of the the day, I told you that the presence of worldly things, circumstances, and emotions can mislead us from the truth that God's presence and life-giving word should be the center of our life. I know many of you out there have plenty of stories of pain and suffering that I can't even fathom. And I sure hope that God's presence was with you in that time. And I want to tell you, if you're about to go through something or going through something, he is there and available for you. What does Hebrews 4.15 say? We have a high priest who can fully sympathize with our weaknesses because he has been tempted and is without sin. We can boldly approach the throne of grace because he provides mercy and healing in Jesus Christ. He'll are we boldly running to him today? That's my question for you. The band's up here because Psalm 92 says it is good to praise him. It is literally good for us to praise him, to make music in his name. And in those quiet moments when I needed him most, it was songs of worship and praise that oriented me to him. Today, there's no other way I wanna end with you than to do that. Some of you should know this song. It's nothing special, but my goodness is it true. I hope this is the time for you to open your eyes to Him. of Elisha, Elisha, he was surrounded in a city, 2 Kings 6, by a Syrian army that wanted to capture him and his servant, and Elisha was calm, but his servant was freaked out, he saw this army, this overwhelming presence, this worldly presence that wanted them dead, and Elisha prays and says, God, will you open my servant's eyes Know what that servant saw? He opened his eyes to not only see that Syrian army, but he saw the angel armies of the Lord that surrounded them that were bigger and better and stronger than anything we can face. That is the God we serve. That is who saves us and heals us. We are surrounded by Him and Hillside. I pray today you open your eyes and maybe you close them. Maybe you've never opened them to him, but Lord, I pray for their eyes to be open to you who defeats all things and protects us and provides. In your heavenly name we pray, amen. work in the silence, that you are there. Lord, I pray for those that don't know you can trust in you today for the first time to commit their life to you, Jesus. So Lord and Savior, I thank you, Lord, for your presence. In your name we pray. Amen.